Welcome. My name is Yvonne Benninger-Rothschild. I'm the Executive Director of the EICC New York. This podcast is brought to you by the European American Chamber of Commerce, a platform where Europeans and Americans connect to do business. To produce this series, we have asked our members from across Europe and the United States to discuss current events and how they may affect transatlantic business activities. In addition to this recording, I invite you to listen to all of our podcasts. You can find them on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. I hope you will enjoy the insights our members together with my team have put together. And I encourage you to subscribe to the EACC podcast series on your favorite podcast server and to rate and share them with your friends and colleagues. Hi, my name is Paolo Frazzini Melendez. I manage member engagement at the EACCNY, and I'm also your host for this Brexit Musing series. So in this episode, we have Vincent Power from the law firm A&L Goodbody. He will provide an overview of what businesses from both sides of the pond should expect when it comes to merger control, compliance, and state aid post-Brexit. Uh, we're very excited to hear your thoughts, and thank you for joining us. Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this podcast on Brexit, which has been published by the European American Chamber of Commerce of New York. The implications of Brexit for business are profound and as yet unknown. Businesses have an awful lot to absorb as 47 years of rules in the United Kingdom and the European Union have to be unwound and a new regime established in their place. It took 12 years for the United Kingdom to join what is now the European Union, so leaving will also take time. Therefore, to assist business leaders, executives and counsel in companies on both sides of the Atlantic, I'm going to unpack three issues which are practical, relevant and immediate. The three issues revolve around what is known as antitrust in the United States and known as competition in the European Union and the UK. I'm going to chat with you about the three issues of compliance, merger control, and state aid. On compliance, I'm going to describe the key steps which American businesses with operations in the EU, and particularly in the United Kingdom and Gibraltar, uh, and remember, Gibraltar has also brexited the EU on the 31st of January 2020, that you need to take as an immediate priority to make sure that your businesses are compliant with competition law in Europe. Secondly, on merger control, I'm going to brief you on what are the key changes in how M&A deals will be supervised in Europe and in the UK in the context of Brexit. And thirdly, on state aid, I will focus on how the EU rules will affect American companies doing businesses in Europe, including the UK, post full Brexit, i.e. when the transition period ends. And state aid is as relevant to American companies as EU EU ones. If you think about it, the EU tax state aid cases in regard to the likes of Apple and Starbucks demonstrates that point. 
And before I tackle those three topics of compliance, merger control and state aid, let me put the profundity and the extraordinary nature of Brexit into context. There will hardly be an area of law or life which will be untouched by Brexit. No one under the age of 50 has any vision of the European Union without the United Kingdom. If you think about it, the President of France, Emmanuel Macron, was not even born when the UK joined the European communities. And the same is true of Chancellor of Austria, Chancellor of Urs, uh, the Prime Minister of Denmark, and so on. And even those European leaders who were alive when the UK joined the European communities on the 1st of January 1973 were either young or very young or in a different place completely. Uh, Boris Johnson was only eight years old. And back in 1973, Angela Merkel was starting studies at the Karl Marx University in Leipzig in East Germany. The world was clearly a different place then and post full Brexit, when the UK finally leaves the European Union regime, the world will be a different place again insofar as it relates to the UK. So let me start with compliance. If you are an American business with a single compliance program for Europe, then you need to add a UK chapter and to amend the EU one to deal with Brexit. The UK is no longer part of the EU and with full Brexit, there are several implications and let me run through those for you. Competition investigations, which were conducted by the EU only, could now be conducted not only by the EU, but also by the UK. That means that American businesses will have duplicate investigations on their hands. Not everything investigated by one would be investigated by the other, but there's a high probability now that they will both investigate the same matter. And businesses don't like that degree of uncertainty, but that's one of the consequences of Brexit, i.e. double investigations. Secondly, while there is usually no personal liability for executives for breaches of EU competition law, like there is in US antitrust law and the competition laws of many EU member states, There could now be personal liability under UK competition law for the same matter which is being investigated by the EU. Thirdly, compliance programmes should cover both the EU and the UK aspects. That will mean extra compliance costs and it could mean different regimes and different outcomes for the same issue. So, for example, if the EU and the UK both investigate something, there could actually be a different outcome. Speaking of investigations, if a business is looking for leniency or immunity at the EU level for, say, past or indeed ongoing breaches of competition law, then those businesses should also consider filing an application in the UK because there could be exposure under both jurisdictions. Something rather intriguing is that the European Commission has an established history of dawn raiding businesses right across the EU 
uh, investigators arrive unannounced and they go through the books and records and computers and files and so on of companies to uncover evidence of breaches of competition law. And the European Commission will, generally speaking, no longer be able to conduct own raids in the UK. So you may well find that US businesses in the remaining 27 member states of the EU could be dawn raided so as to tap into the computer systems so as to uncover breaches of EU law in the UK. So finally, on compliance, Brexit will mean for American businesses having to cope with two regimes, possibly two investigations, certainly two sets of rules, and even two possible outcomes. And you can therefore see the advantage of what was before Brexit, the one-stop shop for investigations and so on, but that's not going to be the same post-Brexit in the context of the UK. So let me turn to merger control, and that same theme emerges in the area of merger control. Now, merger control is quite simply how mergers and acquisitions are regulated for the purposes of competition or antitrust law. In the US, agencies such as the DOJ, the Department of Justice, or the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, along with the courts, deal with merger control. Acts of Congress, such as the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act and so on, um, they set the legislative landscape. Now, in the EU, the situation is a little more complicated. The member states each have their own regime, so if you had a transaction which straddled, let's say, Germany and Ireland, you may end up having to notify the Bundeskartellamt in Germany and the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission in Ireland. But some years ago, back in 1989, the European Union established a very helpful one-stop shop type idea. And in this one-stop shop, if a deal fell within the scope of the EU merger control regulation, Regulation 139 of 2004, then the member state regulation did not apply and there was one single regime across the European Union, namely the EU's own regime. And that's far more predictable and less expensive for businesses usually. And dealing with one regulator rather than perhaps with two dozen regulators with different thresholds, different timelines, different tests is more attractive. And a lot of US businesses have welcomed that EU system and indeed were part of a group which encouraged the European Commission to extend it further. Uh, and they did so in 2004 to cover more deals so as to avoid multiple uh, regimes. Now, however, following the full Brexit, the UK will no longer be part of the EU regime. So what does that mean for American businesses doing M&A deals uh, and some joint ventures in Europe and the UK post-Brexit? Well, first, a single filing at the EU level with the European Commission under the EU merger control regulation will no longer be sufficient to cover the UK if the UK merger control tests are met. So there may also be a need to file in the UK. So two filings may be needed rather than just one. Uh, Secondly, the UK has a similar but slightly different regime to the EU. So we could see a deal approved by one regulator, but blocked by the other. 
And that's not far-fetched. The GE Honeywell deal uh, was approved a number of years ago by the US authorities, but blocked by the European Commission. And we could see the same thing happening post-Brexit, where, for example, the EU could approve a deal and the UK could block it. Or equally, the other way around. Thirdly, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, has proved very interventionist in the deals which have crossed their desks over the last, say, three years or so. And the CMA would say simply that, look, it has to supervise the deals presented to it, and it's just the referee. It deals with the games or the tests like a referee to put in front of it. Similarly, it deals with the um, deals which are put in front of it as the CMA. Others would say that the CMA has proved very interventionist, for example, blocking eight deals in 2019, more in 2020, and has even blocked a deal such as Sabre Logics, where the target had no customers, no sales, and no market share in the UK. Now, whatever side one takes of that debate, it's best to see the UK and the CMA uh, as being a necessary part of one's planning for M&A activity in Europe. That's very important post-Brexit. It's believed that there'll be over 50 additional merger filings with the UK annually because of Brexit, but actually there could be more, and certainly a number of those will involve American companies. Fourthly, in regard to merger control, deals typically go to the European Commission, where the parties involved have turnover or sales above the thresholds listed in the EU merger control regulation. And the thresholds are high, meaning that around 400 deals a year are notified to the European Commission. There were, for example, 362 in 2016, 380 in 2017, 414 in 2018, 382 in 2019, but it's around 300 or so in 2020. And many of those deals have involved U.S. corporations, indeed, often on both sides of the deal. And the reason why they're notified is that apart from the worldwide sales reaching the thresholds, the level of sales in the EU have also reached the thresholds. And until full full Brexit, sales in the UK counted as EU turnover. And that is no longer the case post-full Brexit. So fewer deals will go to the European Commission because there is lower EU-wide turnover because the UK turnover is not involved. And that's important. And the final point I'd make in regard to merger control is that the certainty that business likes, one regulator, one procedure, one set of costs, one timetable, one outcome, would be replaced by two regulators, in many cases involving the UK. Having considered compliance and merger control, the third topic that American corporations need to be aware of is state aid. And this could be trickier and more significant for American businesses as well as businesses generally. We all know that all countries aid businesses to some extent. Sometimes the aid involves a positive transfer of money or money's worth, for example, a grant or buying an asset at more than it's worth on the open market. And at other times, it involves the state foregoing revenue, for example, giving a tax break where the difference between the real tax rate and the special tax rate is state aid or selling or leasing land that 
price which the market would less than the market would require and that gap is state aid and look whether it's positive or negative it can be a problem so suppose you establish a business in an eu member state or you expand existing operations you might get assistance from an EU member state and then you need to ensure that that assistance is not state aid for the purposes of EU law. And it would be state aid if it was provided by an EU member state or involved the resources of an EU member state, was provided selectively, i.e. that's to say not to everybody, could affect trade between EU member states and could distort competition. Now, it's not fatal to receive state aid. The aid could be approved individually by the European Commission if the member state involved notifies it and the European Commission feels that it falls within the criteria. Or it could benefit from an automatic clearance under the treaty under a block exemption. And in the past, if you received aid from the UK, then that would be part of the general EU regime. So you could be concerned with just one regime, i.e. the EU regime. Now, the position is a little more complex. First, any state aid from the UK would be subject insofar as it applies to a trade arrangement between the EU and the UK. Secondly, any state aid involving Northern Ireland has its own regime under the Protocol on Ireland and Northern Ireland under the Withdrawal Agreement. And thirdly, the UK regime on state aid is meant to get more permissive. In other words, the UK is, according to the current government, going to be more willing to give state aid. And that's a curious turn of events because the UK has always been the greatest opponent in the EU of state aid. It wanted the level playing field. Margaret Thatcher was, when she was UK Prime Minister for 11 and a half years, the staunchest opponent of state aid. However, her Conservative Party promised in the 2019 general election to ease the rules somewhat. So, we'll wait and see how that evolves. And what will it mean for business? Well, If you get aid from the UK, that does not mean that you will escape necessarily the scrutiny of EU control regimes. And this would be so in at least two respects. First, by reason of the protocol on Ireland and Northern Ireland, the UK would be required to comply with the UK state aid rules wherever a UK measure potentially affects trade between Northern Ireland and the EU. And that's quite a wide test and quite a wide net. And secondly, even if the UK provides aid, the aid might well be caught by the EU's anti-dumping i.e. anti-unfair trade rules by the EU's emerging regime on businesses benefiting from foreign subsidies, as well as the EU-UK arrangements post-Brexit. So state aid law changes post-full Brexit, but still uh, the EU regime could be relevant. So I would say to you that if you are a US corporation, you are getting assistance from the UK to establish a business or expand a business, then be careful because the EU may force you to actually repay that aid and repay it with interest. So it's not quite um, free money. So these are just three of the ways in which Brexit will impact on businesses on both sides of the Atlantic. 
uh, in terms of compliance, in terms of merger control and state aid. And while the European Union has said goodbye formally to the UK, the regime which has been agreed between the UK and the EU has almost left like a like a cookie in the UK computer. And while the UK has d- supposedly deleted the EU files, the EU cookie can still apply, in particular in regard to state aid. So I would say that in regard to compliance, worth looking at your current regime. In regard to merger control, bear in mind the rules are going to change and have already changed in large respects. And also in state aid, the rules may never have actually quite gone away. It's true to say that the full implications of Brexit will take a long time to unravel, but hopefully this overview will help you plot what you need to do in terms of compliance, what you need to watch out for in terms of merger control, and what you need to monitor in terms of state aid. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Vincent. That concludes this episode with Vincent Power from A&L Goodbody. We hope that you enjoyed this Brexit Musing episode and stay tuned for the next one. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the European American Chamber of Commerce, New York. Please remember to subscribe and rate this episode and be sure to check out the complete list of recordings on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. If you have any thoughts or comments about this series, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at membership at eaccny.com to learn more about our work, how to get involved and how to join our transatlantic network.